to Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning because uh, what we did was we read the main verses that comprise the story that we're looking at this morning, but in actuality there are two, and you really can't, uh, you really can't separate the one story from the other. And so um, watch now, and I'll give you the verses that we're going to look at in addition to this so that you can follow along. I'm going to have you back up. We started our reading in verse... Uh, 25, I guess it was. Uh, let's back up to verse 21 and catch the beginning of this. So it says here, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Now do you see how the very next verse is intervening, the story that we read? So we're going to skip over to verse number 35 and get the conclusion of the whole thing. So verse number 35, let's take a look at this. While he yet spoke, so after now things have concluded where we read in verse 34 with the woman, while he yet spoke, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Boy, they had a gift for bedside manner, didn't they? Anyway, it, verse 20, 36, And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, which is about what you get when you laugh at God, when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Now, we've read those verses. Let's back up to the verse in question this morning or the verse that's our text. Verse 31, we'll reread that. Then we'll have a word of prayer. So look at verse 31. And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou who touched me? So the title of this morning's message is, Why Do You Ask Who Touched Me? And we'll be looking into that. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your loving kindness. Thank you, Father, for all the many things you've done for us this week. Thank you, as we heard earlier in Sunday school, we, we have them happen. We know they happen. We tend to forget them and pass over them lightly. But Lord, we realize that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We thank you for a pleasant day, Lord, which we readily confess in our weakness. These types of things are a help to us. They lift our spirits. 
And I just pray, Father, that each of us would be in the house of the Lord today with a good heart and mind, a good desire to look into the word, to see what you may have for us. Because, Lord, may we be of a, a, the, the disposition of heart and mind that we're a needy people, that we understand and know that if we open our hearts to you, that you'll minister to us today, that you'll meet us where we are, that you'll supply the needs that we have, you'll encourage us spiritually and uh, Father, of course, we pray if anybody's here today doesn't know Christ as Savior, always we want to pray that you will be working in hearts and lives like that to awaken them to their lost estate and draw them to the Savior, and that we would always be available in a winsome way, whether in the message or uh, in conjunction with the services, to help people like that that may want to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And thank you, Father, that you care about us. Thank you that you've uh, ordained the Lord's Day, knowing that in your great wisdom, it's something that we need in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bless now. I, I pray you help me, Lord. I have no ability in and of myself to do anything of any spiritual consequence. Only you can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can really meet the need of every heart. Only the Holy Spirit can help us to concentrate and focus. Only the Holy Spirit can guide my speech and utterance so that I say those things that will honor you and be a blessing to others. And so I ask, Lord, today for all of these blessings, and may Jesus be exalted in our time that we spend. Also bless those that are in the junior church session and those that are helping in the nurseries, where we pray these things in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. Well, this is our second look at the Gospel of Mark, because remember what we're doing now, progressing through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, we've caught a lot of these questions that were asked of Jesus. They asked him this, and we've seen that different people ask Jesus' questions. Sometimes it was antagonists that asked him questions. Sometimes it was people just from general and all walks of life. But the biggest grouping of them that we have are ones that his disciples asked him. They're all revealing. They're all helpful. But the ones that the disciples ask, I think sometimes just make me feel better. I don't know about you. I've never been one in preaching messages like this to throw off on the disciples because I always figure that it's just a mirror. I just figured that in seeing that if they made a mistake or they didn't know something or they were a little slow on the uptake, that's just a mirror. That's just what I'm like. And uh, it encourages me, really, to see that other people had that same question or had that same thought. And so uh, just as last week it was the disciples, we look at the story in Mark chapter 4 about the great storm that came on the Sea of Galilee. It was the disciples that asked that question. It's the disciples that asked this particular question this morning. And another thing that's kind of interesting is, also in the story last week, Mark chapter 4, we saw that that was, an account of that is given in all of the so-called synoptic gospels. And uh, did I ever tell you this, if you don't know, it's, synoptic sounds like such a big word, but it just means seeing things together. So the whole idea is these are similar in their content. And you have uh, different perspectives and themes that the writers are observing as they're led by the Holy Spirit. But they are using much of the same material, whereas John's gospel is totally different, has a different theme altogether. And John approaches the whole thing differently and includes materials that you don't find in any of the others. And so that's kind of an interesting thing in, in and of itself to figure that God has four ways of saying a lot about Christ to us and different emphases for us to get. But in any respect, whenever I find one of these stories that's carried in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I always think to myself, okay, there's something that's important enough for him to say it three times so I don't miss it. And 
that always stands out to me as something that I think is important. I hope I was able to do some small good last week in conveying to you that I think that one of the reasons for that in that story that we looked at last week is because it's such a parable of life. I mean, here they get into this boat and everything is balmy. There is no hint of a storm and this sudden storm breaks down upon them and it's just a parable of life. It's the way life is. You're going along, everything seems okay. You don't know that you have a problem and then all of a sudden you've got a big problem and how do you respond to this? To me, that's just a parable of life and something very similar is going on here because here's what's happening with this. The disciples in this verse that we're looking at, verse number 31, they can't begin to fathom why it is that Jesus would ask in a throng of people where there's all sorts of jostling and bumping and crowding and all kinds of things like this. They, it, it just totally over their head. Doesn't make any sense to them at all. Why in the world would Jesus stop what he's doing, turn around and say, who touched me? Although they bombed out. Did you see this? That isn't what he really asked. He didn't say who touched me. He said who touched my clothes. And in that, they sort of missed the one hint that they might have picked up on and answered their own question. But it still makes me feel good. I mean, there are so many things. This is a parable of life. There are so many things that God does. Or to put it differently, there are so many things that God doesn't do that, that just leave me like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand this. Then what do I do? So to me, this is a great story this morning because it is so much like life is. So much happens in life that we don't understand. But we find out how to respond to that and how I think the story develops and how Jesus approaches or, and what he has to say. Ultimately, we kind of come out with the conclusion that so many of these songs, I enjoyed the song this morning, Deb, because it fits right in with this, until then. And all the things that were so puzzling here will just sort of bring a smile there, won't they? And if you think about this, there are just so many songs. Farther Along is another song like that. Or we have one in the songbook we've sung any number of times since I've been able to fellowship with you folks. My Father Planned It All. And there are just so many songs like this. We'll talk about two more later in the message. But right now, let's plunge into this because there are times, lots of times, that God doesn't seem to make sense. And how do we respond to that? How, how do we really cope with that? And there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. So we're going to take this in three steps, sort of like we've often done. Not to say we can't ever have something in two steps or four steps, but many times it seems to work this way. But... First of all, we're going to look at this scene. I want you just to think about this, and since what I have said so far, we're going to characterize this first scene that characterizes, uh, that surrounds the question that they ask. We're going to call this no sense. That didn't make any sense. Nonsense, or no sense, is how I would like to put it here. Well, I think when you meditate on this and dig a little deeper, you've got at least two people that this question that Jesus asked, it doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's like no sense. And of course, in the broader context, I think first of all about Jairus. Now, you see why we read this other story because this is kind of a this is kind of a pancake effect, maybe, or you could think of it as a sandwich effect because 
you know, if you have a sandwich or many times you go out to order pancakes or maybe you, you do this at home too, but they often, often serve them up in stacks of about three or so, maybe sometimes more. I, I got away from all that. I just get one big one, about that big. That seems to do the trick. But lots of times when pancakes are served up, they're served in stacks. And of course, with a sandwich, and I'm, I do something different here too. I got to be different once in a while, you know. But most of the time you take out two slices of bread, right? Or if you have a bun, you've got a bottom and a top. And I always go and get rid of one of the slices of bread because I figure I don't need it in any, any way I can get rid of a few calories and stick a few more on the dessert end. That makes better sense to me. So I most of the time ask my wife for an open-faced sandwich. It makes me feel a little better about the thing. But most of the time you have a sandwich, you have two slices of bread. And if you just have the two slices of bread, you don't really have a sandwich, do you? You start out on the top, you've got a slice of bread. Then you have something intervening, whatever you're going to put in there. And then you've got the bottom. And that's the way this story is because it starts with Jairus. All of a sudden, there's an interruption. You've got the middle of the sandwich. This is kind of the, the center part of things. And then it goes back to Jairus again, got another slice of bread. That's the way this is set up. And you really can't get the whole impact of the story that we want to look at or where the question is without putting this together. Well, I first think about Jairus. I'm thinking, you know, here's a man. What does the Bible say to us? He was a synagogue official. He was one of the rulers of the synagogue. So he's somewhat well-placed. We're not told where this is, except probably in Galilee, because the sea was near. So it's obviously in Galilee. We don't really know which of the top places it was. But he was in the synagogue. He was somewhat well-placed in his position in the synagogue. Well, not all of those people were friendly to Jesus, were they? Some of them were hostile, but apparently this man has heard enough about Jesus, knows enough about Jesus' miracles, that he's drawn to Jesus with some fledgling faith. He has, he has something that draws him to Jesus, and if nothing else draws him to Jesus, the fact that his daughter is at the point of death, you know, you'll do a lot of things when you get desperate that you won't do under any other circumstances, right? And sometimes God puts us in those situations on purpose so that he can get through to us and we will do those things that he wants to do in our lives. But here's a man, he comes to Jesus, he makes his case, and you know what? Jesus stops. He's got a, a crowd of people around him. Jairus comes running up. It's important enough to Jairus that he doesn't send any, any, any servants or anybody else. He comes himself. And he says, my little girl is at the point of death. Would you come? And Jesus doesn't make any bones about it. He comes right away. He follows after her. So if you were Jairus, what would you get out of that? I'd get out of that. He's, he's going to come solve my problem. This is fantastic. Praise the Lord. And right about the time that they're making, and he's, he's, it's like um, he's desperate, but now he has a ray of hope. And if he's desperate and goes to having a ray of hope, I can only imagine how he must have felt when all of a sudden Jesus, for so, no seeming reason at all, stops, turns around, asks this question, who touched my clothes, and worse yet, then takes time to start talking to this woman. So I think he goes from desperate to having a ray of hope to being frustrated, Do you ever feel that way sometimes? Oh, go on. You can admit it. I won't think worse of you because I do sometimes. I Sometimes God is frustrating. 
but that's just our sinful weakness, and we kind of have to keep aware of that. And I think that's where Jairus is in this. It doesn't make any sense. I don't think it makes any sense to the disciples either. Obviously, they're the ones that ask the question. They're the ones that articulate. I think that Jairus is over here to the side. He's got the sweat beads popping out on his forehead, you know. I mean, he's really, if he was desperate before, he's frustrated and desperate again now. Is this, what's going to happen here? You know, he was coming, my, my little girl's about to die. He's off to the side. He doesn't ask the questions, but you know, the disciples, they were more familiar with Jesus, which is to our benefit. They didn't have any problem with asking the question. We're not told who articulates the question, but Mark seems to know about it, and Peter often speaks, so it may have been Peter, but we're just not told that. But they all had the question, so one of them articulates it for them. It doesn't make any sense to them either, because here's what they're looking at. First of all, they know about Jairus. They've seen that happen. They see that Jesus is responding. They already heard the word about the fact that his daughter was at the point of death, so they understand all that, the urgency of the situation. But they're also right there with Jesus too. And they see all these people, and, and that, that's why the detail is very important. When, when they ask the question, they say to him in verse 31, Thou seest the multitude. Look down at verse 31 again. Thou seest the multitude thronging thee. And in their perplexity, they say, and now you want to ask who touched, my, who, touched, who touched me? Well, Jesus didn't say, well, to be technical, I didn't say that. But it is true that's not precisely what Jesus said. He said, who touched my clothes? And we'll get to this. I just want to leave you hanging for a moment because there's a point to this that we'll come to in just a few moments on this. But... Verse number 31 is where they articulate this question. So, to me, beloved, what we've seen so far, and I kind of want to call scene one to a halt right here. No sense, because there's two people it doesn't make any sense to at all. I think we've seen that. But here, again, is the value, as I said earlier, of considering these questions, because I am sure that we have all had times when we have felt the same way. When God doesn't do what we think he should do, when God doesn't or God doesn't do, or God withholds doing what we think he should do, or God does something we don't think he should be doing. And You know, there are lots of examples of this in the Bible. If you think about it, you could even think of some in the gospel stories. What do you think about Lazarus? He was sick, apparently quite sick. And the sisters, who are also on a different sort of a level maybe than this ruler of the synagogue was with Jesus because they were, they were close. And they, they leveraged that actually, and not in a bad way. When they sent word to him and they said, said to him, he whom thou lovest is sick. I love how they do that. Because it's leveraging the relationship, but not in a, not in a wrong way. It's pointing out, you know, We've had you at our house many times, and we've been close over the years. Now we need your help. Nothing wrong with that. But what, what does Jesus do? He doesn't do anything. And, of course, they aren't there to protest. It's, it's a little bit different than, like, Jairus. They sent, and Jairus is there, you know, about to have apoplexy. But they're not. But when Jesus gets there, finally now, it's the fourth day, and... Same thing as this story. He's dead. And what happens? They meet him. 
First Martha, then Mary. And they've got that, just that, they're careful about it. They're careful, but there's just that little undertone, just like there is with the disciples here. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother hadn't died. If you'd just come, my brother hadn't died. And there's that little tinge of a rebuke. It's that little tinge is here with the disciples as well. It's like they're saying, that makes any sense. Why are you asking that? Well, who am I to sit in judgment on God? But unfortunately, we all do that sometimes, right? And that's why I say, to me, this is the value. I, just, I feel better about it. I feel like I'm looking in a mirror at how we tend to respond so many times in our lives. So that's no sense. Now, we're going to look at scene number two. And scene number two is some sense. Can you think of anybody that this, made, this question made some sense to? Well, the woman, right? That's the person it made some sense to. <laughs> Why is that? Because she knew what she did. So what, what do we know about her? Well, it says she had an issue of blood 12 years. Well, that's a long time to be sick. This is some type of a hemorrhage or some other type of thing that's going on here. You're not only looking at something that's been ongoing, but it says she's been to the doctors and that didn't help and she'd worse. Sometimes I think to myself, boy, this is right up to date. And I really am glad for the doctors, but you know, you hear some of these stories sometimes and you just kind of say to yourself, okay, I can get better on the computer. So this is our situation. But see, here's a little something, and this ties in now with the idea about the who touched my clothes. See, According to Leviticus, according to the Old Testament, and you could write the reference down and look it up later if you want, but it would be Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 25. The normal time of the month when a woman would have this situation, the normal situation, for those days she would be, according to the Levitical uh, stipulation, she would be ceremonially unclean, right? She would be unclean all the days of this. So what's really interesting is, is if you go and read Leviticus chapter 5, verse 25, it takes it a step further and indicates that if for whatever reason this continues, it's an abnormally long period or something of this nature, then still those continuing days, she's still rendered ceremonially unclean. And so from a technical Levitical situation, for this woman to kind of come behind Jesus... Why does she come behind Jesus? Because number one, it's embarrassing. Her problem's embarrassing. Who wants to come up there and blurt that out? I mean, it's one thing to come to Jesus and say, my little girl is at the point of death. That gets the news there fast. You don't have to go into why. But it's another thing altogether to have to come up and talk about some sensitive, embarrassing type medical problem. But beyond this, she has come from behind to do this because... She's fearful. She knows that, technically speaking, she's probably not done the right thing. Jesus was a rabbi, so to come up and do this to touch his clothes, you couldn't transmit, according to the Levitical law, you could not transmit holiness, but you could transmit uncleanness. You remember reading that in the Old Testament? Where the priests, they couldn't, they couldn't impart holiness to you with a touch, but you could impart uncleanness to somebody else with a touch. 
And so that's kind of going on here too. So you've got all these things whirring around in her mind, and yet at the same point, this idea of her coming from behind, and according to the details that were given, and Luke even says, she touched the hem of his garment. Jesus asks, who touched my clothes? Not who touched me, who touched my clothes? Well, because I think, well, there's several things going on here, but the thing I'd like to point out to you now is, this is going to be later in Mark, but let's just look across a page. We'll get the general idea at Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, we, uh, we need verse 56. So towards the end of the chapter, look at this. It says, And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch if it were the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. Now, if we were also to go to Luke's gospel, this verse, Luke chapter 6, I'll read for you, is not from the parallel account of the story that we're looking at now in Mark, but is a sort of a general statement that also talks about what was taking place in Jesus' ministry. And in Luke chapter 6, verse number 19, look at this. It says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. And healed them all. So I think it's quite likely that not only do you have this embarrassment playing in, but you have the fact that the woman had heard of Jesus' ministry. She had probably heard of other people accomplishing the same thing. It made a lot of sense to her, if you think about it, because if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I don't have to suffer any humiliation or embarrassment. But she had enough faith to believe if she did that, she would be healed. So the fact that all of a sudden now Jesus whirls around, the others are kind of like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. But to her it makes some sense because she knows what she's done. I will say, though, the reason that I say that it makes some sense is because there's more to come. And we're going to kind of do the same thing here. We're going to draw this to a close and look at the more to come in a few moments in scene number three. But the reason I say there's more to come is Jesus has something to say to her. Verse 34, And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Something more is going to happen. The full significance of everything that's going on, even she herself does not know. Just as Jairus does not know the full significance of everything that's going on, just as it will be explained to him, which she will hear herself with her own ears also. Verse 36, and as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, somebody comes up and says, your daughter's dead, don't even bother him anymore. Jesus has this to say to them all. He saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, but the others hear, be not afraid, only believe. There's more to come, but for right now, let's park and just emphasize the point that we're trying to make. Here's a reminder that even in this life, when we see what we think is part of the picture, more than likely, we don't see the whole picture. There's probably a great deal that we still do not know. That excites me. I don't know about you, but that really excites me. But I think of 
probably one of the premier verses in the scripture that teaches this. Lots of verses, but this, this probably has to be one of the premier ones. And it would be 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12 when Paul says it this way. But now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face. Now we know in part. But then shall we know even as also we are known. I don't know how God's going to accomplish that, but that makes me so excited. I mean, I've just, you know, all you can do is think in terms of the limitations that we have in this life. And I think to myself, all of that stuff is going to just be downloaded. You know, well, I talk about computers and um, depending on your internet speed, you probably get frustrated sometimes too if you have a longer download. But regardless of your speed, probably for most home services that are available to us, if you have something big, it still takes a little while. It's not just instantaneous. The thought of going to heaven and all of a sudden knowing it all, instantaneously, no download time, no buffer, blows me away to think of all of a sudden walking in heaven's gate and not having to ask where's Abraham because I'll know him where's Moses I've been wanting to talk to him I won't have to ask somebody to point him out where's Peter he asked a bunch of questions I would have probably asked too everybody all those preachers that preach all those sermons about Peter just opened his foot to exchange feet Peter I want you to know I never did that (laughs) I figure I'll get up there and tell him that. I won't have to have someone please point him out. And he's not going to be at the pearly gates figuring out whether or not I get in either. So I don't worry about that. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus didn't come right away. Jesus said to them later, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? There was more to come. There is more to come, beloved. Oh, the best is still in store. You need to believe that. You need to be encouraged by that. The best is still in store. We may go through our frustrations, our difficult moments, our times when even we're tempted to say, God, what are you doing here? This doesn't make a lick of sense. Oh, the best is still to come. And even when God sees fit to give us some insight, most likely it's not the whole picture. And I have often thought about the fact that I don't know about your God, but my God's so big, he's never doing one thing at the time. He's always doing three or four or five. Well, who knows how many times he's doing at one time. We think this happened in my life and our focus is so narrow that we're trying to figure out what's God doing in my life? When, when we get to glory, the real answer that we'll probably find out is it's not, hey, Coleman, it's not what I was doing in your life. Yeah, I was doing something in your life, but I was doing this over here and this over here and that over there all at the same time. Call on me and I will answer thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God's got stuff you can't imagine let's look at the last scene we'll call this complete 
sense. They're going to get this thing filled out just a little bit, all right? We're going to get some answers. You like that thought? I'm going to get some answers one day. There's a bunch of questions I have. I mean, I have some that I've really struggled with. I'll have those answers, and you know, I'll not only have those answers, I'll be satisfied with them. Not only be satisfied with them, I'll be standing there just like Paul and saying, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. First of all, let's focus on the woman. See, Jesus knew it all. Jesus knew everything. This is an amazing display, even though he limited himself in the exercise of his divine prerogatives, that is, his divine attributes, the outward show of them. This is an amazing display of his omniscience. He knew it all. He knew when she touched him. She, he knew this. The Bible tells us, and in one of the parallel verses that we read in Luke, he knew that virtue had gone out of him. And I don't know, maybe that word has changed meanings, but here's what you need to know. The word in Greek is dunamis. It's the same word we get dynamite from, and it's the regular word for power. So Jesus didn't lose any virtue in the sense that we think of virtue today. It's not like that. He knew that it's like somebody cheating and putting their line up there on the electric thing and getting, <laughs> getting some electricity that doesn't belong to him, didn't come through the meter. He, he felt a power drawdown. In our human terms, it probably didn't hardly register a blip for him, but he knew it. He knew that a woman had, he knew that a woman had touched him. He knew he had just cured someone. Now talk about the woman being on the spot. Let's look at verse number 32. It says, he not only turned around and asked the question, but then it says he looked round about. And that the translators see fit to use here a simple past tense for this. In the Greek, though, it's the imperfect tense, which underscores the idea. It would be something like this if you were looking to bring the significance of that. He was looking round about. And the meaning of the word is kind of an intensive where he's looking intently. So he turns around, he asks the question, and then he's scanning the people. He's scanning the people. Now she's really wrought up about it. This is when the Bible says in verse number 33, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, she came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Well, he already knew all the truth. So what was all this about? This was about bringing her faith from a fledgling faith to bringing her faith to the place that she had a personal relationship with him. There was more to come. Jesus didn't see fit to leave it where it was so that she could slink away later, never having met him. He wanted her to know him. He wanted to know her. We call that a personal relationship. We see her faith is going from just kind of a, enough faith to get her there. She's heard the word that he does miracles and all this kind of stuff, but no personal relationship with him. Christ isn't content. He wants to see her faith develop to the point that now there's a personal relationship there. And when he says to her in the final analysis, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole, there's probably a lot more to that statement than just the disease, just the plague. Because when a person exercises 
faith in Jesus Christ, personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, comes to the place where there's a personal relationship with him, there's healing of the soul that takes place then. That's when you're really made whole. When we come to know Christ as personal Savior. It made complete sense to Jesus why he asked the question because he knew what he wanted to do in the woman's life. He wanted there was more. Which is why he asked the question. What about Jairus? There was more for him too. See, likewise, some faith was involved when Jairus came to Jesus. He approached Jesus. Jesus followed him. Verse number 23, we read that. Why couldn't it have just gone that way? Gone to the man's house. Point of fact, Jesus didn't need to go to his house. Right? Isn't that what was a little bit of the deficiency with Martha and Mary? Jesus really didn't need to come. He could have done just like he did with the nobleman's son or the centurion. Just spoken the word and it would have been so. He didn't need to come. But he was coming, so the, the guy is relieved. Then all of this intervenes that we've talked about. Now his faith is, what little faith he has is sorely tested. As you and I oftentimes find ourselves when God does these things that don't add up and don't seem to make any sense, it really tests our faith. Well, I'd like to tell you there, if I knew an easier way to grow, but I don't. I mean, I wish it were instant. I wish we were just mature. But instead, we're born again and then we're told to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it just doesn't come any other way. There's some things our old hard heads just don't learn any other way except through being tested and tried. Tested and tried, we find out, I need a great Savior. Jesus provided him the assurance on the way that said in verse number 36. I can't get enough of what he says in verse 36. I can't get enough of how this applies to me. I hope you can't get enough of how it applies to you. When you don't understand God, when things don't seem to make a lick of sense, he says, what you have to do is this. Be not afraid. Don't lose your calm. Don't lose your cool. Don't lose your faith. Don't lose your equilibrium. Don't let it rattle you. Just believe. You have to trust me. That's what this is all about. You have to trust me. He said to those sisters, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? I'm telling you what, buddy. They saw the glory of God that day when Jesus walked up there and said, Take the stone away. They still didn't get it. They said, You've got to be kidding. He still didn't make sense to them. He stinks by now four days. But they did what he said obediently and just like it didn't make any sense to Peter when he said cast the net on the other side. He said, we've been fishing all night. This is crazy. What are you talking about? Nevertheless, Master, at thy word. Boy, how difficult faith seems to come for us. Faith and obedience. Nevertheless, at thy word, Peter says almost like, there he goes again. Okay, whatever you say. Jesus had something more. Jesus had something far better than just healing that daughter from afar. They were going to get there, and they got to that place knowing that that girl was dead, and he had all these people there, 
And Jesus said, what's all this hoopla? She's not dead. She's just sleeping. They laughed him to scorn. They didn't understand what he was talking about either. It didn't make a lick of sense to them because they had no faith. They thought he didn't know what he was talking about and how feeble, how often we judge the Lord by human sense. And it's a disaster every time we do. We never get it right. Every time we see fit to exalt ourselves and our thinking and our wisdom and our judgment and our logic above what God is doing, we always make a mess. A terrible mess. Which is what they did, and they got put out for it. They weren't going to get to see what those other people saw. And all of a sudden, that mother and daughter walk in there, and Peter, James, and John, who were privileged to go along, that, and Jesus walks up and takes that little girl by the hand. Did you ever think about that detail? Apparently, she hadn't been dead long. No rigor mortis at that particular stage. She just, he just reaches down and takes her hand, which is undoubtedly probably still warm. And Mark, who gets this from Peter, knows the exact words. I always thought that was kind of neat. Here's the exact Aramaic words he spoke. Talitha kumi. Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And she sat up on that bed. And Jesus said, now you can give her something to eat. Wow. I told you there's a lot better in store. If Jesus had just said, be healed, or Jesus had gotten there before she died, they would have never seen that work. They would have never. Did you know there, there are only three occasions? There are some oblique references to more, but there are only three stories of Jesus raising people from the dead in the Gospels. Lazarus, the son of the widow of Nain, and this little girl right here. Only three. Of the three that are in Scripture, they got to be, that mom and dad sitting right there looking at that, seeing something you'd never hope, you'd never think you would ever see in this life. I tell you, beloved, I've walked into many a funeral home, to many a funeral. I often thought to myself, hmm, it'd sure be nice. But you know the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and shall come forth. They got to see a little preview. They got to see it with their own little girl. That's why. And this is what I've been trying to say. That's why. When you get to verse number 42, and straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the year of 12, age, uh, 12 years of age. And it says they were astonished with a great astonishment. I'll tell you, when you get the complete sense of the thing, when I get the complete sense of the thing, I'm telling you, you're going to be blown away. I'm telling you, you're going to be astonished. Because I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Our puzzles here will make complete sense there. There's a place out 22. I don't know if you've ever passed it before. Between Water Street and on your way to Altoona, if you're traveling 22, they'll do that corn maze. They've gotten to where they do that corn maze at Halloween. Kind of reminds me about what life is like. It's like a corn maze at night. It's like 
they take you there on the group of kids, you know, and okay, here's where you get in. Don't know where I'm getting out. Hope I can find it. And you're walking through this maze and you don't know what's a blind alley and what's a dead end and which way you're supposed to go. And bad enough, then you don't know that, but then some guy yeah! jumps out and scares you about half to death. Woke you up, didn't I? But to me, that's just life. Tough sometimes. Bad enough that you don't know what's around the corner. Bad enough that you don't, I'm speak as a human. Bad enough that you don't always know what God's doing, but then you get halfway around this one corner and somebody, get, something happens. Scares you half to death. You don't know what to do. You're like, you come unglued, just like Jairus came unglued. That's why he says to him, don't do that. Don't do that. Trust me. So don't be afraid if when you get there, because I won't be surprised. In fact, I'm expecting it to be astonished at what God was doing. I said I would mention another song. The year was 1954, and Al Smith had been invited to lead the songs at the Founders Week at Moody Bible Institute. I'm sure many of you know the name Al Smith. Just passed away really uh, 18 or so years ago, beginning of the 2000s. He got up, and and if you've never heard singing like this, you've got to go someplace sometime and hear this because it's, you can't, it's hard to figure what heaven's going to be, but you'll feel like you've gotten a step closer. If you go into a place like this, They had 5,000 people there, a a huge organ, a great organ, and two grand pianos. And they got to the place where Al Smith was leading them in this other song I told you I would mention to you. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies who through life has been my guide? And as a good song leader often feels led to do when he has the command of people, it was like those people were trained in singing. It was like a a huge choir of 5,000 people singing in four-part harmony much of the time. But he felt led when he got to the end to ask the instruments to drop out and just have people sing a cappella. There's a beauty in that sometimes. Just have the people sing a cappella, that last line. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. Well, Smith didn't know it. But there was another gospel musician who was listening in, but by radio. His name was John W. Peterson. He saw that the two were acquainted, and he saw Smith some weeks later and went up to him and said, you know, I was listening, you led that song, then you felt led at the end to ask the instruments to drop out, and people just sang beautifully. This is my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. He's telling Smith what a blessing that had been to him. See, this is what I'm talking about. God's working so many different places you can't even begin to add them up. He's not even in the audience. He hears this by radio. And Smith says to him later, well, John, why don't you just write a song 
with the title being that last line, Jesus led me all the way. Peterson wrote the song. Listen to it. Someday someday life's journey will be o'er, and I shall reach that distant shore. I'll sing while entering heaven's door, Jesus led me all the way. If God, this is my favorite stanza in it, the middle one. If God should let me there review the winding paths on earth I knew, it would be proven clear and true. Jesus led me all the way. And hitherto, this is the one that's for today. And hitherto my Lord hath led. Today he guides each step I tread. And soon in heaven it will be said, Jesus led me all the way. You talk about working on more than one front because if enough people weren't blessed by Fanny Crosby's song, there's a ton of people who have been blessed by John W. Peterson's song. We have them both, but in a few minutes we're going to sing Jesus led me all the way. Let's pray.